Take a second to think. What is one of the most memorable gifts you've ever received? Process. You've probably received a lot. Hopefully, you've been blessed in that way. What's the most memorable gift you've ever seen, received, or maybe the most meaningful gift you've ever received? Um, for me, a couple come to mind immediately. The first one that, uh, that I think of, or maybe the youngest that I was, I think it was like 1987, Christmas. I'm at my grandma's house. You guys are not going to believe this, and I'm not trying to brag, okay? But I got a Nintendo Entertainment System. Oh, yeah. Anybody have a Nintendo? I'm not talking about, like, the, the new revamp kind that you plug in with HDMI. Now I'm talking about it's got the little connector box, the gray thing, and it has to hook into, like, things on your TV that we don't have anymore. Like, so that was, I got it. And I was so excited because Nintendo was all the rage in, in, in the, the mid-'80s, and my friends had them. And, like, I heard rumors that you could actually own your own, right? I never in a million years thought that I would own one. It was so awesome. So I got a Nintendo. That's the first one that comes to mind. Second one, um, I was 12 years old. I know because I looked it up. Uh, it was a year when Christmas was on a Sunday. And that was special to me because my dad is a preacher, and so we went to church on Sunday, and and unlike us modern week churches, uh, we went to church every time it was Sunday. It didn't matter if it was Christmas Day. Uh, So we went, and we knew we were going to church, but my parents made a point for us to wake up early, open presents, and my brother and I, you met my brother last week, didn't he do good? Dude, he just roasted me like crazy from the stage, but uh, we, we we woke up to new bicycles, and that was really cool, and that was memorable, but the memorable thing for me was that we got to like go ride our bikes all over the neighborhood before church, and then we had to go to church, and then we came home and ride the bikes, and I remember that morning being like, I'm not even going to church right now. I'm riding my bike. So that's another memorable one. But probably the most uh, meaningful and memorable gift I ever received, it's actually kind of a double gift. And it starts with this guitar. You saw me up here a minute ago playing guitar, and and this is a special guitar to me. My wife gave it to me. Uh, In the year 2000, we were dating at the time, and I I wanted this guitar, and uh, couldn't afford it, and didn't have the money for it, but I wanted it. And so she went and got a job, and I didn't know that the whole school year she was saving money, tucking it aside, and she bought me this guitar. And that's really cool, and and, uh, that's part of why it's such a memorable gift. But this double gift thing happened because in my pocket, I had a little black box. And so like when she gave me the gift, I was like, wow, this is awesome. And then I turned around and got on one knee and asked her to marry me. So it was a really special Christmas that year. And so, uh, no, you can't buy this guitar. That's mine. Um, so gifts, gifts are game changers. Really good gifts are game changers. And so like these are presents and maybe you've had a birthday present or a Christmas present. But there are some gifts that just really make a huge difference in the world. A couple of weeks ago, uh, maybe you were part of this gift. Uh, The government just decided, if you owe owe school loans, um, there's some rules. And if you fit the rules, a lot of your debt is forgiven. Now, look, you could get political about that. You could get mad about it. But I'm telling you what, if you had tens of thousands of debt, forgiven. I got a feeling you got like a little bit of love for that, that rule that just happened, right? And so like that was a big game-changing gift for a lot of people. Uh, if, if you've ever been, I've been able to go to like third world countries and visit really rural areas where someone has come in and put a well. The gift of water. Game-changer. Imagine having to walk miles and miles and miles to get some dirty water that's just going to give you, you know, stomach stuff. And then someone puts it in a place where you can pump clean water straight out of the ground. Game-changer. I know two people at least two people. If you're one of them, you can let me know. I can, I'd love to add to my list. I know at least two people who have given someone else a kidney. Yeah, a kidney. Like an organ that's working perfectly well in your body, but someone else needs it. So you're like, yeah, I got two. You can have one. I got one buddy. Straight up, he gave a kidney to a complete stranger. 
Some of you know my friend Will, and Will saw, uh, Will Boykin saw a, a need on Facebook. One of his high school friends shared, my husband needs a kidney, and like he didn't know her husband. It was 20, 30 years, or I don't know how long it had been since he'd seen her, but he was like, hey, I heard you need a kidney. I got a, got a kidney. I think I got an extra one. Like, what does that look? You can just have it. He was like, well, there's like, it has to match. It matched. <laughs> he gave away his kidney. So like, today we're talking about gifts a little bit, and the idea that certain gifts are just absolute game changers. So hold that thought, okay? Tuck it away. Don't take it too far because we're going to get right back into gifts. But we're in this teaching series right now called Together We Are. And so it's kind of this rally cry. Every couple of years we do some sort of manifesto style series where we return to why do we exist? What is it we're trying to be? What is it we're trying to do? Because we can sit and get all kinds of head knowledge and book knowledge and be like, well, I could actually win an argument right now. But who cares if you can win an argument if you're not being transformed? And so who are we? Together we are. And as a church, we have a three-part goal. It's like one goal, but it's got three parts. And it is that we will be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Uh, will you say that with me if you want to? Let's try this together. Go. We are God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. And don't forget that. This is what that means. If someone is part of our community, the ingredients that go into them while they're with us, if this was a conveyor belt that led you to become something, that's what you would become. You would become a person like that. Uh, to be a God chaser is someone who pursues God with everything in them. God becomes the filter through which I run how I spend my time, how I spend my money, how I build my relationships, how I do my career, how I rape my children, uh, how I am a spouse. I'm a God chaser first. And then we get grace-shaped. Today we're talking about being grace-shaped, and so you hear a lot about that. And then the third thing is we are love agents. Because I'm pursuing God, because he's shaping me by his grace, there's really no alternative then to, for me to overflow. <laughs> I just am full of his love, and so I become an agent of his love into the world. This is not original to us. I mean, like these three phrases might be sort of original to us, but pretty much every church is worth anything has thought about what are we about? And it comes from some very specific things that Jesus talks about. For example, in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, someone asked Jesus, hey, what's most important? What's the biggest and most important rule that I should know? And Jesus said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. And so that's the first thing, be a God chaser. And then he said the second thing is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There are no commandments greater than these. That's the love agent. And so the whole idea, and then grace-shaped is what happens to get us from point A to point B. So today we're going to focus on that second part of our goal as a family. What does it mean to be grace-shaped? And to start with, what I want to do is break that into two uh, words. Grace-shaped is a phrase. Let's look at grace, then let's look at shaped. First of all, grace. Like if you've been in church much, or you've just listened to the English language much, you might have an idea of what grace is. And I think uh, Christians have come up with some really good definitions from grace. For grace, some of them are like volumes of books long. <laughs> some of them are sentences. I'm going to tell you, as long as, I, long as I've, the longer that I've been a believer and the longer that I continue to live in this world and know about God's love, the simpler my definition for grace has become. And today I want to propose to you that grace can be defined in one word. That grace is a gift. Grace just means gift. Yeah, you could get deeper with it, and you could, for sure, there's a lot of really good things you could understand about grace, but grace at its core means gift. I mean, think about the ways that you hear the word grace in our common vocabulary. Have you ever had a grace period? Like, for example, your rent is due at, on the 10th every month, right? But in your contract it says, but there's a five-day grace period. So that means if you don't pay your rent on the 10th, your landlord is willing to give you 
five days gift. Okay, okay, it's cool. Long as you get it in by the 15th, we're good. You come in on the 16th, there's going to be different consequences, but I'm giving you a grace period, a gift period. Uh, people might call like praying for their food. Like, Somebody say grace, say grace. Why do we do that? I had to think about that. Like, what's the weird thing? Uh, grace, she died 30 years ago. Maybe you know that line. Um, grace. Well, grace is just a moment where we take a second to tell God thank you for the gifts. Yeah, it's related to gifts. This is our grace to God. Um, if you said someone has graced us with their presence, you're probably being sarcastic. But what you mean is, oh, they think they're such a gift. They're showing up to grace us with their presence. So grace equals gift in its very simplest form. On a universal level, okay, all of creation is a gift. Think about this. This has been big on my mind recently. Like if you think about all of creation, do you ever drink water, breathe air, enjoy the sunshine, laugh at a joke, enjoy companionship with a friend? Where does that come from? I believe it comes from our creator. I believe it's a gift from him. And so like in a theological realm, they might call that common grace. Common grace just means it's grace that everyone experienced. You actually don't have to be a believer in Jesus. You don't have to believe that God exists to experience his common grace. He created water for you too. Um, and so that's the idea of, of common grace. Uh, the fact that this week is the first week of the NFL regular season. It's common grace, right? Amen. Go Cowboys. So there's this big deal about grace. God comes in and does this. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. So God brings us the gift of everything we have. And so that's why we say grace. That's why we say thank you. That's why we should at least acknowledge where it comes from. And what's cool is many people actually begin their journey towards Jesus and understanding like a deeper grace by simply experiencing common grace. Like when they wrestle with the idea of is there a God, one of the things that really draws people towards there being a creator is just like this had to be from somewhere. That's experiencing God's common grace, and each one of those builds our faith. And it leads us to like a deeper grace. And this is what most Christians would think of when they think of grace. It's something that we call saving grace. Saving grace is the idea that Jesus came into the world and gave us a pathway back to God, to forgiveness of our sins, to have a purpose in our life, and all these things that we can do. So saving grace, when you talk about amazing grace, like the old hymn, the old song, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that's saving grace. So we've got common grace. We got saving grace. So we got grace. Today we're talking about being grace-shaped. I said we're going to break it into two halves. We talked about grace, okay? Let's talk about shaped. Let's talk about shaped. And to get there, I want to get into more scripture. Uh, we're going to be diving into the book of Jeremiah a little bit. So if you've got a Bible today, go and pull it out. We're going to be all over the Bible in just a minute. Uh, we've got free Bibles we give away every week. There's a shelf right by that door. You're welcome to go grab a Bible right now if you forgot yours uh, or look it up on your phone. Or if you need a Bible, like to have they're free. Take it, keep it, and put your name in the front. It's your Bible. Um, if you use it for the service today and want to put it back and use it next week, that's fine. Um, but we just have Bibles. Jeremiah's in the Old Testament. Uh, he was a prophet to the nation of Israel. If you don't know where it is, it's almost, it's just a little bit to the right of the center of your Bible, but I recommend you just look it up in the index at the front if you don't know how to find it. But Jeremiah chapter 18, God is going to take Jeremiah to this place, and he's going to give him like this visual, this uh, this, this hands-on lesson to show Jeremiah what it means to be shaped, I would say, by God's grace. And he's going to use an illustration that I think we can all relate to. So this is Jeremiah 18, 1 through 4, and it'll be on the screen behind me. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house 
and there I will give you my message. So Jeremiah went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred by his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Now, I don't know if you've ever done pottery with the wheel. Uh, maybe you played with Play-Doh or at least like made a biscuit in your life. You know, you get it. You're like, you can, you can manipulate the stuff. It's malleable. But I want you to go back to this ancient scene where there's this guaranteed foot-powered uh, potter's wheel, right? He's, he's just pumping this thing. And there's a big lump of clay. This potter probably dug it out of the ground himself and made the work and turned it into usable clay. But then there's this moment, and you've seen it probably, where there's like this shaping and there's this jar-making happening. And there's a rim and there's water involved and it's beautiful. But something happens. The pot breaks. I'm, it's floppy, wet clay. I'm guessing it folded in on itself, or maybe it was spinning too fast or whatever. Uh, this is what's beautiful about this moment. The potter does not freak out. If you made a lot of pots, you can make another pot. And he looks at it and says, oh, I can fix that. So then it says this, this really cool phrase, but the pot he was shaping of clay was marred by his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. What we're talking about is a masterful artist. And this is an analogy. It's a metaphor that Jeremiah gets to watch, and then God goes on to explain the metaphor. But the point is this, that that being a grace-shaped person, if God is the potter and I am the clay, means a couple things. First of all, I have to be willing to accept that sometimes I'm going to be broken. I'm going to fold over I'm going to break. I'm going to spin out of control. Maybe you have to admit it for the first time. Like, that's just a big part of, like, therapy. The other part that we have to accept is that there is a master artist who has the ability to put us back together. Right? This isn't rocket science. But this is a picture of what it means to be grace-shaped. We sing a song here on Sundays a lot if you've been coming for a while. It's an older song, but it's a great song. The song is called Beautiful Things by a band called Gunger. Spotify it, YouTube it, look up Beautiful Things by Gunger, listen to it. And the whole point of the song is that like, God makes beautiful things out of the dust of the earth. He doesn't need a whole lot of materials to make you amazing and wonderful and beautiful. That's what he does. That's what he specializes in. And the basis for this grace, we're talking about being grace, we're talking about being shaped. The basis of being grace-shaped comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. So flip a, several you know, chunks of paper over to the New Testament of your Bible. We're going to be in Ephesians, chapter 2, and that's kind of where we're going to stick for the rest of our Bible time, for the most part. Ephesians 2, and we're going to start in verse 4. Because we're going to get some of this same grace language, but the book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. And as he wrote, he was very instructional. In fact, as you read through the book of Ephesians, it's a little bit of a field manual for like, how does salvation work? Like nuts and bolts and gears. Like, what does it mean to know God? What does it mean for him to save you? What does it mean for me to come to his grace? What does it mean for me to live in that grace? But Ephesians chapter 2 has this very concise section that explains grace and how it interacts with our life. And so we're going to pick up at verse 4. It says, but because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, time out, mercy is kind of a synonym for grace, isn't it? God who is rich in mercy. So if if God has a bank account full of something, it's mercy. God is wealthy in grace. God is wealthy in mercy. That's important for us to remember. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace that you've been saved. 
And we've taken that shift from the common grace to the saving grace. You ever watch one of those movies where you're just like going along, you think you understand everything, you know, you got the main characters. Scooby-Doo was like this a lot. Uh, and you get, and you think you know what's happening, and then boom, plot twist. Like the character you thought was a good guy was actually like the murderer, or the person you thought was a murderer was actually like the really good person. And like, through, and boom, and it blows your mind. And we love that. We love a good plot twist. Some of the greatest books and movies ever written have the greatest plot twist. And this is what this passage is. This is like, this is like the universe's greatest plot twist. You were once dead in your sin and your transgression. What's sin and transgression? Sin is like there's an area you should stay inside of. Don't go out of it. Sin means like, no, transgression is crossing the line. Sin is a target you should hit. Boom, I should do this, do this, do this, but you don't. Sin means you don't do it. It's an archery term. Sin means like missing the mark. Then there's transgression. Transgression says I put a boundary around this because I want to keep you safe. Stay inside this boundary. When you're a parent, you tell your kids, don't cross that street. Don't go to that neighbor's yard, whatever. But when they cross that boundary, they have transgressed the boundary. So one's doing something you're not supposed to do, one's not doing something you should be doing, but either way, it's God's way of protecting us and helping us have the best life ever. And the, and the, the story begins, you were once dead in your sin and your transgression. These are things that cause our soul to be separated from God due to his holiness, his set-apart nature. We've talked a lot about that recently as we went through the modern prophets this summer. His holiness, his, his goodness. Because of our transgressions of sin, we are separated from that. The word dead just means separation, plot twist, but God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions and our sins. It says you were saved by your grace. And so this is the gift of shaving grace, saving grace. We're talking about what does it mean to be shaped by that? So the next question is, great. There's salvation. Maybe you've attended church for a long time. Maybe this is your very first time. But so what? Who cares if God gives me his seal of approval? Like, what? who cares? Like, there's more important things in my life that I care about, to be quite frank with you, right? That's the way a lot of us process sometimes. What do I do with this gift? So here's the deal. When I, in, in 1987, I get a Nintendo. Why did I get a Nintendo? To set it on the shelf and let it get dusty? Well, that's what it's doing now. I'm a mom's attic. But... I got that so I could play Mario, so I could play Duck Hunt, shoot that like RF gun at the screen, and it was amazing. That's why I got Nintendo, for a purpose. I got a bike. Why? To ride around the neighborhood with my brother and to go see my friends and to feel a sense of independence. And so my parents could be terrified like crazy when they didn't know where I was. Like, that's why I got a bicycle. I gave my wife an engagement ring because I wanted her to say yes and to marry me. We have gifts for purpose. And so when God gives us the gift of grace, it's not just so it's like, oh, whew, I feel better about myself now. That's not the purpose of grace at all. That's not why he did that. A lot of people actually know a lot of the Jesus stuff but don't know what to do with it. When my son was two, three years old, he, he turned 16 this Wednesday, so pff, he was two or three years old, and I don't know, two and three-year-olds, like, they, I mean, they're... They're kind of dumb, okay? They don't know a whole lot of stuff. Don't tell them I said that. They don't know a lot of stuff, and they don't understand certain things. So they do things out of order a little bit. It's Christmas morning, and uh, we're unwrapping presents like you do. It's at, at one of their grandparents' house. And have you ever been in this moment 
where everybody's unwrapping presents. There's paper everywhere. So somebody has to go get a big trash bag, right? And then everyone throws the, tr the trash to the trash bag guy. And I'm always the trash bag guy for some reason. I'm happy with that. And so we're doing that thing. And Silas, who's two, three years old, he's running around. He's picking up trash. Hey, go put it in the can. So he's playing basketball. And he's dunking. And he's having a good time throwing the trash away. And it's a really good morning. As far as he knows, this is the game we play once a year. And so we're just playing Christmas trash. Uncle Phil walks in. Everybody loves Uncle Phil. We're excited to see him. He walks in. And one of the first things he wants to do is give Silas his present because he's the, the new grandkid, right? And so he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a crisp $20 bill. And everybody in the room's like, ooh, $20. That's good, man. That's a lot of McDonald's. You're going to be killing it with $20. He gives it to Silas. Silas promptly balls it up, runs to the trash bag, and throws it away. And we're all like, no, no, don't do it. And then he like starts crying. He's like, what did I do? Why did he do that? As far as he knew, it was just paper. He had no idea that it had value. This is what we do with paper in this game. We throw the paper in the white trash bag. And unfortunately, that is so often how we treat God's grace. We receive it and we have no idea what to do with it. We think the only reason for God's grace is so I can be free of guilt and go to heaven when I die. That's the whole point. It's my get out of hell free card. That's why I need salvation. Thanks, God. Whew, I guess I'll just wait till I die. You ever had that awkward moment with your friend that give you a present? You're at a restaurant or you're at work or something and they give you a present and you're kind of like really excited that you got a present, but you're like, should I open it now or should I wait till I get home? Or they give you the card and you're like, oh, I want to open it. I bet there's a check in this card. Like, I'm going to be polite. I'm going to read the words, but I hope there's a check in this card. But you don't know, should I open it now or should I take it home? Now, most people who are good, sensible people, they want you to open it now. They're just as excited as you are. They're probably more excited because truth is, it's not going to meet the expectations you set in your brain, right? But you don't know. There's that moment. It's important for us to understand when it comes to God's grace, this is not a gift that God gives us for us to use when we die. This is a gift for right now. In God's grace, we have something to do. So we're going to pick up and find out what that is in Ephesians chapter 2 again. We're going to pick up at verse 6. So in Ephesians 2 verse 6, and we're going to read all the way to verse 10, it says, And God raises us up with Christ and seats us with him, in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness, Paul. He said it in a lot of words. Let's, what does this mean? God raises us up with Christ. So I want you to picture yourself treading water, okay, in muddy water. And you're drowning. Remember, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. This is actually a metaphor to explain the verse we read earlier. And then God reaches down and he grabs you by the nape of your little neck. And he picks you up. And what does he do? He seats us with him in the heavenly realms. We cross over from a physical fate to a spiritual salvation, where we can now know uh, our connection with our Savior and, and what our purpose is and how we can live this life. So he does that. He scoops us up. And when I was a youth minister, I used to call this the gospel in a nutshell. So if you want to kind of remember what's the point of Jesus, just go back and read Ephesians 2, verse 6. But verse 7, let's keep going. In verse 7 it says, in order that, so why? In order that. That's a phrase that means I did this for a purpose, okay? I didn't just give you this to sit on it. In order that, in the coming ages... He might show the incomparable riches of his grace. He's like, you ain't seen nothing yet. All I did was tell you, I forgive you. Like, that was all I did. Have you ever forgiven somebody? It's, sometimes it's harder than others. But in reality, it's just, you know, words maybe. But if forgiveness, forgiveness really takes place, then that relationship heals. So God says, I did this in order that in the coming ages, I might show my incomparable riches of grace. I'm rich in mercy. My bank account is packed with grace and mercy. I've got so much for you. Expressed in his kindness through Christ Jesus. 
So using this gift metaphor, the gift giver was God coming down in the form of a human person named Jesus. And he walks out and he says, here, I got you this. Open it right now. I want to show you how to use it. Verse 8. For it's by grace that you've been saved. Through faith. So if the gift is, is God handing it out, like I'm going to forgive you. Faith is the, is the doorway. Through faith. It's like, okay, that's me going, okay, I believe that. I'm going to put my hands out and take it from you. <laughs> Through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. He wants to clarify that. It's not by works that no one can boast. You can't earn enough in the world to like get this gift. It's just your gift. You can have it. Everybody can have it. It's free. But you got to like believe in what I'm telling you here so you can have it. And then this is where it comes. Verse 10. This is where I want to land today. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word handiwork is a beautiful word and there's some really cool word studies on it but uh, and, oh, another way of understanding that word that a lot of people will say is that it could be translated maybe masterpiece. Let's read it that way. For we are God's masterpiece. We are his opus work. Some people say it could be translated his poetry or his poem. We are God's handiwork. We're his masterpiece. We're this prime opus work that he formed and he fashioned, created in Christ Jesus and so we've got the potter on the wheel and knows about our brokenness. But Jesus comes in and says, here's the gift. I can make that into another pot. I can form you and I can give you purpose and I can put you back together. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. And this is what's really cool. You ever give someone a gift and you can already imagine what they're going to do with it? You know, when my wife gave me this guitar, she didn't think I was going to use it as a baseball bat. She was like, he's probably going to like play it and try to write some songs on it. Like that's probably what he's going to do with it. And when God gives you the gift of grace, when he raises you from death into life, we join him in something. So there's a passage in the book of Romans that I like to touch on here. And and it's basically this, that like that death and life thing is actually what what we symbolize in our baptism. So think about water, like if this is the water level and I'm going to go down into the water. He says, we were dead in our transgressions. So when I, through faith, accept grace... And I go down. I'm going I'm to give myself up. I'm going to die to my old self. That's the image of baptism. Romans 6 said, you were therefore buried with him in his death in order that you'd be raised to walk in newness of life. And so something happens in us. Something transforms when we accept Jesus and we accept this gift and we begin to move forward. You remember the clay. You remember the potter. You remember that you are his handiwork, his masterpiece. And in this moment, not only is my sin forgiven, like my slate's wiped cream, but clean, but like healing begins to happen. Maybe you have brokenness from a past thing, addiction or abuse, pain. Healing begins to happen because the creator of the universe comes in and begins to reshape your pot. And it's not instant. In fact, I, I believe he partners with therapists and long walks and deep breaths to do that and changing your habits and choosing not to do this or that. Maybe some of your brokenness comes from decisions that you straight up made. You just kind of said, forget you, God, I'm doing my thing. And he looks and he's like, I didn't like that, but I'm willing to forgive you. And what he says is, I need you to repent. Repentance is not just a one-time thing. It's like every day I'm repenting. Repentance just means turn back to God. Sometimes it's a 180-degree turn. Sometimes it's like, oh, two degrees. I am a little bit off. I need to get back on God. And this 
healing begins to happen. And as the healing happens, something else happens. Transformation. And that's why when you meet someone who has been very far from God, but who has been drawn very near to God, you'll be like, wow, they're different. Now, maybe you've never experienced that. And I want, I want to say, if you're here today and like this, this is new to you or you don't know much about Jesus or maybe I kind of skipped a few steps and you're like, well, ah, I don't feel, I'm catching up. I want you to know, first of all, we talk about that all the time. So please just come back. Come talk to me. My name's Chris. I'd love to tell you more about it. But know that this is possible for you from the start, from the beginning. We don't get our lives together and then come to Jesus. He's like, no, just come to me all broken and I'll get you together. Transformation begins to take place in our lives. We are God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. I don't know if you caught this. This is a teaser for next week. Love agents is about we, we do those good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. Like, that's why we're here, to be love agents. But as we wrap up today, I want to give us just a snapshot of what does it look like? How do I be grace-shaped? Because the reality is a lot of things shape me. My experiences or my lack of experiences shape me. Maybe my finances shape me. My lack of finances shape me. Maybe my parenting that I had as a kid or my lack of good parenting as a kid shaped me. My education or lack of sharing. You know, right, like a good, the list is really long. And it shapes me. And so when you come to God, you're kind of this marred jar. It's all messed up. Um, and so that, that's our shape when we get there. And so when we become grace shape, what we're doing is saying, I'm taking my hands off the jar, okay? I'm going to stop trying to shape this life. And I'm going to let God shape it. So what does that look like? I got three. There's, I mean, we could probably together make a list of a thousand things, but there's three. And these are worth writing down because I think they're the things that you're going to want to really think about, contemplate, and see if you can activate them in your lives. Here are three ways that you can be grace-shaped. In the grace of God, one, I'm not defined by my past. It is a really thing, hard thing to swallow for a lot of people. Because they look in the mirror, they see failure, they see brokenness, they see uh, adulterer, they see drug addict, they see someone with prison time and a, and a, and a criminal record. They, you know, or maybe it's not all that. Maybe it's just like, I'm just ugly, I'm just fat, I'm just stupid, whatever. You're not shaped by any of that. In God's grace, you're shaped by something completely different. I love what 2 Corinthians, uh, uh, let's see, put it up there. I don't know what the verse is. The verse is up there. You'll see it. Verse 16 of whatever <laughs> chapter that is. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 16 of some Verse 16 of some chapter. It says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. That's chapter 5. I just remembered. God brings us new creation. He said, you were a hot mess. That didn't surprise me. I watched you make the mess. But in Christ, you are a new creation. So it's really important for us to remember that in the grace of God, I'm not defined by my past. I'm only defined by the future that I have in him. And so what that means is we have to wake up every morning, and we talk a lot about identity in our culture. And there's a lot of things our culture is telling us that identity is. There's only one identity, and that is that you are a creation of the one living God. You are his child, and he loves you. And you have to recognize that, and every single day let that be a guiding thing between what shapes you. That's being grace shaped. Here's the second thing in the grace of God. In the grace of God, one, I'm not de defined by my past. Number two, I can know my purpose. Uh, I see a couple of our college students here, and I, I, um, I don't envy you right now because everyone's like, so what's your major? What are you going to do? Okay, where are you going to live? How much money are you going to make? What clothes are you going to wear on Thursday? And it's like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to have for breakfast right now. There's nothing in the pantry. Um, that's life, by the way, so it doesn't really get better than that. But, but purpose is different than plans. Purpose is what God puts into you. Say, I, got, I need to achieve this for a reason. 
And so God gives us purpose, and I could go on, this could be a whole other sermon, but it won't be. I want to read from Romans chapter 12, 1 through 2, one of my favorite passages. The Apostle Paul also says this, I, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, mercy means what? Basically, grace. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's that love agent thing. I'm just going to live it out. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. But listen, it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Patterns of this world is another way of saying, do not be shaped by this world. Do not be world shaped. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and his perfect will. So the transformation that begins to happen is part of the thing that says, I'm not going to try to live by the world's purpose. The world tells us we need to be rich and famous and beautiful and have a nice car and the newest iPhone. Like, it's a list. It's not very long. It's pretty superficial. And it actually will let you down every single time. But God says, my purpose is that you will offer your body as a living sacrifice to me. If you're an accountant, be an accountant for me. If you're a teacher, be a teacher for me. Be a God chaser. It all works together. It's just God's word. If you're a student, be a student for me. What's your major? I don't know. How do my skills and my passions line up with my purpose and how I can bring the kingdom of God to other people? That's how we decide. And so I don't want to simplify it because purpose is hard. (laughs) God's will is a big thing. But in God's grace, I can know my purpose. So there's three things. One, I I cannot be defined by my past. Two, I can know my purpose. And the third one is this. In the grace of God, I have room to grow. I love that God doesn't expect us to be fully grown when we show up. He doesn't expect us to be mature on day one. In fact, he expects us to not be. There's a lot of scripture that talks about that. Eating milk, being babies. (laughs) It's okay to be a baby and to need milk instead of solid food. But in this space, we need room to grow. I love in my house, we've always said this about our kids, that we want our house, our family to be a safe place where our kids could fail. A lot of parents have different goals. I want my kids to be perfect right now. And I'm sorry, but that's just not going to happen, and they're going to need therapy later. They need to know that they can fail. They need to know that they can fall flat on their face, and I am drunk at a party, and I know you told me not to do this, but I need to call somebody that I trust, and I know you'll come pick me up. And you take them home, you're not like, great, let's do this again next week. You say, oh, man, dude, that was, now you see who I've been telling you this stuff? Let's, let's get back up, let's learn, let's grow, so that when they get out in the real world, they can have a little bit better footing. And the kingdom of God is just like that. We have room to grow. Grace means that it's not all on you. Some of it's on you. There's a lot of talk about we should do good things. But it's not all on you. In fact, the entry level is very low. Faith. I'm willing to trust. And in that space, we can grow. And so Joe mentioned these things to us earlier. And I just want to plug this as a real-life thing you could do starting today if you wanted to. Back at the um, Connection Hub, we've got these two pieces of paper. This is something we've been doing for years at our church. It's not brand new, but COVID killed everything. And so we're trying to reboot a couple of things. And one is what we're calling microgroups. Um, small groups is great. Small groups is normally like 8, 10, 12 people. You get at somebody's house, and there's a Bible study, or there's a game that you play, or there's a place you go. And that's fantastic. Uh, a lot of small groups have really good discipleship and growth that happen in them. Um, but sometimes it's hard to plug into those. The schedule's crazy, and maybe you don't even like it. You're like, this is, I don't need it. I don't need to read another Francis Chan book. I'm a really good reader. Um, I don't need to do that with somebody else. Like, but what we all need is accountability and space to grow. And none of us are off the hook on that, okay? I, I hope that everyone has some 
way to do this. One way we try to p- provide is this microgroup. In a nutshell, microgroup, commercial, here it goes. Three to five people that meet once a week for accountability and growth. Three to five people, that's it. And it doesn't take, it could take your lunch break. Here's another thing. It doesn't have to be with someone that's sitting in the room right now. You got a coworker that's a believer, goes to the mega church in town, fantastic. They don't have somebody in accountability with them. Say, hey, would you mind getting with me at lunch break once a week? We can do this thing. It doesn't have to be a believer. Just be somebody like, hey, I'm just trying to grow in my walk. The questions that we have on these are, are fairly universal. And wherever your faith level is, they'll hit you different. For example, the very first question is, how have I passionately pursued God? Have, how, how have I passionately pursued meaningful time with God recently? Good question. You know what a good answer for that is? I haven't. <laughs> haven't passionately pursued meaningful time with God. And guess what accountability does? Why don't we work on that? What are you going to do next week? So this little snapshot is just a business card size thing. It'll be back at the Connection Hub. I think there's even some of the, the welcome packets there. And then this one has got a lot more questions. It can be done on a three-week cycle. And the idea is that it gets boring. These are only three questions. And if you can handle that for months, then you have more attention span than me. But this is going to get us even deeper. It's a three-week cycle. I recommend doing a month, week, week one, week two, week three. And then on the fourth week, do something fun. Just be like, hey, we're just going to go get ice cream. We're going to go play disc golf. We're going to go to the beach, whatever. And then we'll pick it up. And all it takes is you having the initiative to get with two other people and say, hey, you want to do this? We don't measure these. We don't take attendance. You don't call us and say, I went. You don't get gold stars. I'm sorry. You can buy your own gold stars. They can be incentives. But it's because I want to be a God-chasing, grace-shaped love agent. And I want to know what it means to use the gift he's given me of his grace. And so these are going to be something more in our vocabulary as we continue to, to move forward as a church family. But today, uh, maybe you don't know anybody. Maybe you don't feel like you have somebody that you can call. I get that. That's totally cool. If you want to make a note on one of the cards, it can be any card. You can just write on it. I need help finding a friend for microgroup. Drop it in the bucket as you go. Go see Joe. He'll be playing bass first, but then he'll be kind of near the back. Just let him know. Uh, you, you can't sign up for best friends. It's not, it doesn't work. Um, it's like, hey, who wants to be best friends? Sign up. I like blue, um, like it doesn't work that way, but, but here's my advice. Pray about it. Pray for it. Lord, put someone in my life that I can grow with, and he will answer that prayer because it's one of his biggest, deepest desires. Together we are God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Let's go to God in prayer.